And now it's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good Good morning, morning. and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're really glad that you've tuned in today to the show. We appreciate it so much, and we love that you listen and hope that you'll decide one day to participate uh, in the show. This is a live call-in show. So we love for people to call in or write questions in, text us, whatever, however you want to communicate with us. We love that. It adds to the show, helps us to uh, know what we should be talking about. And in just a moment, I'm going to be giving you the numbers and the ways you can get a hold of the show. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm uh, the, the preacher and one of the elders here at the church. And Gary Jones, how you doing, Gary? I'm doing good this morning, Mike. We're doing in, well. He's the doing other well. elder. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll sure. get the English right. We've got to get that English right. Yeah. If you say it correctly, in this case, doing well, people have no idea what you mean because they're so used to say, I'm doing good. So anyway, <laughs> doing good is different than doing well. In any event, uh, Gary is the other elder of the church here, and we bring you this show to introduce to you the idea of being just a Christian, not part of some human denomination, and thinking that way. It's a mindset. It's a way of thinking, a way of approaching, approaching life, and it's a, particularly a way of pro- approaching spiritual things and Bible things to try to do things like the New Testament says as a rule of rule and practice, not human tradition, uh, maybe what your own feelings are about the matter, whatever it may be that people use to decide what to do. And a lot of that is unknown to them. People have unknown ways of deciding what they're going to do that are lurking in their minds and hearts without even realizing it. And uh, we'd like to introduce you to the idea of being just a Christian, because that's what people were in the first century. That's what the apostles taught. That's what they said should be passed down to every generation unchanged. And so we're trying to recreate that idea here in the 21st century. And that's what this show is about. And so we look at a lot of different things, Bible questions, uh, different, different topics, spiritual topics. We look at cultural events. We look at news events. And we try to look at those through the lens of what do the scriptures say should be my attitude and what should I be doing about that every time. We don't look at it from the standpoint of what's the, what does um, science always say per se. What we co- I'm using science, Gary, in quotes here. You can okay. see that, the air quotes. I don't look at it from the standpoint of what does uh, uh, the Democratic Party say, the Republican Party say, or uh, other things like that, or even human traditions the Apostles' Creed, my a particular denomination. No, let's try to look at what the New Testament says about it, gain the wisdom from the Old Testament, and then decide what we're going to do as a church and as individuals. That's the idea of being just a Christian. And to become a Christian, we're going to go by what the Scriptures say, not what the Creed books say. Yeah. So anyway, we'd love you to call, especially, or maybe uh, in spite of the fact you may be an unbeliever, and that's fine. We'd love to hear from you. So anyway, Gary, you're going to say something. I was just going to say, it goes back to John 12, 48, what we've always talked about. Jesus basically says, if you don't listen to him, you have that which judges you in the last day. It will be his word. He says, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Right. So, so it we, will judge us all. We're going to, that's why we look at the word. That's, yeah. why we're, that's why we're focused on that, because it is what Jesus, people say they love Jesus. But they don't understand how important, critical it is that they listen to Jesus and not to not to their own heart. Don't follow Disney. Uh, follow Jesus. You know, the follow your heart thing. Well, Jesus even said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right. Well, where do you find his commandments? Right. People, people think they can make up what he says. Well, let me give you the numbers. We're going to get too far into this, and Gary and I will start talking, and we'll forget what the numbers. <laughs> you can reach the show. It's live here uh, at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590. That's the, te- that's the call-in number. We'll put you to the front of the line, as it were. If you'd like to text the show, some people will prefer to text. Maybe it's easier for them. And we don't mind. We'll try to respond during the show. That number, is, there's two numbers. One is mine, Mike, 772. Excuse me. That's a 260-6120. 772-260-6120. And then Gary's number is very similar, 772-260-6220 is Gary's number. You can text us during the show. In fact, you can text us any time during the week or not, uh, during the week or whatever, whenever it comes to your mind. Give us a text. 
we'll try to respond to you, and we'll be glad to to, uh, to correspond with you about that. If you'd like to email the show, uh, and we do get emails from time to time, that email address is very simple, justchristians at att.net. Justchristians, all one word, at att.net. So those are the ways you can get a hold of us. We'd love to hear from you, and it makes the show so much more interesting when you participate in the show. Well, Gary, you mentioned to me just a moment ago before we went on the air that you had something you wanted to talk about this morning to well, begin with. Well, so. we had discussed some things uh, earlier, talking about things that the world approves. You, you and I had? Yeah, saying? yeah, okay. yeah. Basically, the things that the world approves, and should Christians approve those, or what are the consequences for approving things that the world tells you is right, but the Bible says is wrong? And and I went first to Romans 1 and verse 32, now, just to fill in a little bit, preceding verse 32 is a long list of sins, um, basically that range from all kinds of sexual immorality to murder to basically just speaking lies, okay? And he says at the end of that, um, he says, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. The question is, if you're a Christian and you approve some of these things that the world tells you is fine, but the Bible is not, what is your standing with God? And there were other verses, and there are basically four or five of them that I found. And, Mike, there may be more. I don't know if I found uh-huh. them all. But uh, he says in in Luke chapter 11 and beginning in verse 41, he's 47, he's talking, pardon me, 47, He's talking to the scribes and Pharisees about the things that they so what do. What was the verse again, Gary? Luke 11, uh, beginning in verse 47. Okay. He says, Woe to you, talking to the scribes and Pharisees, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Now he goes on in verse 50, he says, The consequences of this is the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. He said, they're going to pay for this. They've approved what their fathers did, and there's going to be some consequences to that. In Philippians 1, beginning in verse 9, uh, Paul says, And this I pray, that you your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So he's expecting them to prove, approve the things that are excellent, the good that are in the scriptures. And we keep going in Romans 14, 22, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. So I just wanted to put those scriptures out for thought. Well, um, and I think we had a discussion. We have a, uh, monthly devotional at my home on Sunday Sunday nights, the first Sunday of the month. And I and sidetracked I think, Mike. <laughs> yeah, and this came, this came up in our little discussion around the table. There's probably 15 or 20 of us, and, and anybody's welcome to come. If you want to know about that, text me or uh, get a hold of us, email me, and I'll tell you about that. But anyway, this came up, and the idea was, well, what happens if we uh, approve things that are, are wrong today are we guilty of doing the same thing as those who are practicing those things? Yes. Now, it appears from reading Romans 1 there that God is saying, yeah. in, in essence, when you approve the things that people do that are wrong, it's the same as, it's doing. The same as you doing them. Now, let me go back a little bit, Gary, and look at the words, because the word is very similar to our word approve in English, and, and have, but it has a, a, a slightly different definition in the original Koine Greek, the original language. First of all, there's this word prove, to prove something. Test the spirits, he says, or prove those things. Prove all things. The word prove in, in Greek, and it's very similar in English, means to test the merits of something. So they would, uh, it, it was mostly used about coins, it seems like, at least in the literature that we have from, from uh, ancient times. We see this word appearing when they, coins were often counterfeited. They were shaved on the edges. That's why we have ridges on our coins, by the way, or edges on them, so that people can see whether it's been shaved down because it was made out of actual. Ours, ours is made out of the cheapest junk they can find. 
but in ancient times, coins were actually valuable metal. So people would shave them and and give you less. So they would prove it or, t- or they'd make it out of something funny. You've ever seen on them old movies, a pirate will take a gold doubloon, put it in his teeth and try to bend it. Well, that's because if it was made out of cheap metal, it would bend. If it's made out of gold or silver, it wouldn't bend very easily. You could tell by handling it. So you handle something, as it were, and then you, you figure out from that whether it's real. You test, the, you test the true nature of it. That's to prove something. Well, approve means that you've been through that process and you say, yes, this is genuine. This is correct. This is right. This is good. This is sound. After you've tested it, you approve of it. And so you see this word, it's uh, to sunodikeo, which means to think well of in common. So the word that's used here in Romans 1 and a few other places that you mentioned right. is this word that means to give assent to something, to, to allow, to assent, to be pleased with something, to take pleasure in it. And that's why the King James says there, instead of approve those things, it says they have pleasure with those who do them. So not only do not only are people practicing these wicked things he mentions uh, among them the homosexuality and all the other things but but that's just one of the things he mentions in Romans 1. Not only do they do people practice them but the rest of society says yes, they're applauding on the sideline. This is great. We take pleasure in the, you doing these things. So it's moved from will you uh, will you not object too much and allow gay men to practice sodomy and will you not object loudly to that just turn the other turn the other way when they practice this then it's then it's come to now will you allow them to marry and pretend that it is the same as a regular marriage between a man and a woman but now where we are today in just a few short years now not only do you have to allow it you have to applaud on the sidelines while they have drag queen story hour. Okay, so we're, we have to applaud it or take pleasure in it to agree with or think well of in common, to be pleased together with, to approve together with others. I'm reading the actual Greek dictionary here. Yeah. To consent, to be pleased at the same time with, to applaud. The last one mentioned is to applaud something. To think well so of. This is what's been, this is what's being, been ex, being expected of Christians today or other everybody. Not only that you just say, okay, you do your thing over there. I don't approve of it, but you do that. That's no longer good enough. Uh, what has to happen now, according to what I'm hearing, is you have to stand on the sidelines and applaud Drag Queen Story Hour being read to, to, to little children. Or else you are a racist, a Nazi, homophobic, what, whatever the word is well, today. The, so the, this is where we are. Now, is that what you're saying? Is is that is that what you think that's what God is saying is wrong to yes. applaud this? Yes. It's one thing not to not to hurt or harm a person who's doing immorality, I think is quite another to expect them to applaud you practicing it. Or approve, uh, well, it, it goes to – see, it's the same thing here. I'm interrupting Well, no, I, I was just going to say in Luke 11, the, the King James actually translate that, ye allow. Yeah, yes, it, yes. Ye, ye allow. You, you, uh, you approve of it in that sense, you allow it. You see, this is, and this is a point I've made a long time for a long time about all this matter about homosexuality and stuff, that, that the, that's not where the problem started. The problem starts with heterosexual immorality. Now, that's not to just simply say that it doesn't matter at all what's going on now. What we're, what we're seeing now is an extension of, an acceleration of, a superabundance of immorality carried over into completely um, what the Bible would call unclean actions. But it started with them expecting us in the 60s and 70s to turn the other way from fornication and adultery, illegitimate, illegitimacy, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Expecting them to turn our eyes away from drug use of all kinds and not say anything about it. Then it, then we end up having to applaud all of those things. So today, not only should you not object to divorce, you shouldn't ever be critical of divorce, you see, or of people living together. What kind of Neanderthal are you when you object to people, even as a religious person, what kind of Neanderthal are you to object 
to heterosexual people living together without being married. And so we've began to approve those things back there and applaud them. In fact, in fact, it's kind of considered negative to be a virgin today. Among young people, Gary, you, you might not know this. You're so old-fashioned. Well, I'm so old-fashioned. You know, well, see, I'm even, more, I, I, I'm I, even more old-fashioned than Mike. It's so. possible. Well, yes. Uh, I, I Unfortunately, I, I say I have to do research on these things for my job. That's what I tell people, you know, that old story. But the fact is that uh, there, there's all these shows out there like uh, that, that make fun of the 40-year-old virgin. How ridiculous it is. For someone to be a virgin who's not married, it isn't no longer a good thing. It's it's simply a ridiculous thing to be a virgin. No one should ever be a virgin for very long once they reach puberty. And so this is where we, now we have to approve and applaud that. Now, how can people who believe those kind of things and claim to be Christians, how can they be upset because people practice homosexuality? Well, they can't be upset because they're doing the same thing. They're they're approving of immorality in the same way. We've just seen everybody slidden, slid, slid, slid down the slippery slope a lot further, Gary. That's what it is, right. right? We're just way down that slippery slope about to crash into the wall, you know. Um, anyway, I remember watching one of my nieces. My, my brothers brought my little nieces up to Illinois, and I lived there in they had a hill that we was snowing. Was snow, they brought them at Christmas time, so it snowed up there, and everybody's happy. Go up on top of the hill, and my brother pushes his little daughter off, and she goes down her little sled or little dish, and we watch her as she crashes into a tree. You know, just down that slippery slope, there's not much you can do, but you can see the inevitable crash coming, and sure enough, had to go to the hospital, get stitches. Anyway, yeah, I don't know how I got off on that, but that's where we are. We're sliding headlong into the into something, this all can't keep continuing as it is without severe consequences. We like to pretend that the consequences, peace, harmony, rainbows, unicorns, love, but I don't think that's the consequence of all this. I don't think that's where it's all going, and we can see that all around us. Well, I keep coming back to the passages like Philippians 1 and 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent so that, or, or that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ. It's pretty clear that he's saying you really need to approve the things that are excellent of God so that you're without offense before God. Yes. You're, and, it, it, that's, that, and that's the warning to Christians. That's that the approving of Christians. these things and thinking that you're being a good Christian by approving of these things in other people is an offense to God. So I'm going to be Mr. Nice Guy and I'm going to approve what you do. And it's going to have a very bad effect. In the long run, it's, it's going to have a bad effect on your soul. Yeah. You see, this whole thing, people don't seem to make a connection uh, between, the, between all of this immorality being applauded in every area of society. And it's getting worse and worse. You're being asked to approve things that are really horrible and unthinkable. Yes. And, and uh, then they, they don't ever connect up the fact with uh, all of the other suicide, uh, other problem, the, the misery index in our society, so many unhappy, really unhappy, unfulfilled people. It's sad uh, that so many people are so lonely and unhappy, filled with all different kinds of anxieties and disorders of all kinds. Where's this coming from? Well, I don't think it's in the water. They want to look at, well, it's it's some kind of drug we're taking or they're putting it in the water. No, it's because we've allowed all these things have an effect upon the family and how children are raised and what, what kind of environment they're raised in. In the long run, it destroys things. Why is it, Gary, that you see when you and I were in high school, the schools had uh, gun clubs at school classes and people would bring their guns to school and, and uh, shoot them under the supervision of teachers and all the uh, I remember walking through the parking lot and how, how many shotguns and guns did you see in the back of the pickup trucks there a yeah, whole and, lots of them and we were not having all this murder and mayhem in society and in the schools it's not the having of the guns it's all the violence that is being perpetrated pushed onto our culture 
And then when you remove when you remove the, the constant love and discipline of a mother and a father in a home and the other neighbors and relatives in an extended family that helped you understand the right way to live and gave you comfort when you were sad and calmed you when you were angry, lifted you up when you needed it, and 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 uh, knocked you down, as it were, when you needed it. When you remove all of that by the breakup of the family and introducing all this self-centered pleasure in every aspect of life, then what do you expect to be the result? What, they, they never want to look at those that broad result of what's happening in society and connect the dots. Uh, they think it's some kind of scientific solution to the problem. We just need to... Well, even even uh, the even know. the data today is indicating that. that we have more guns in circulation than ever before, and yet where those guns are permitted and where honest and law-abiding people have them, the crime is lower. We yeah, can it's, even it's look, not look at that. that. Yes, what I'm saying it's it's something else. And what makes people uh, want to go shoot up a school? Well, it it's a lot of these factors that have to do with the personal breakdown of the morality in the nuclear family and in the extended family, the breakdown of restraint and this constant emphasis on radical individualism that the only thing that's worthwhile in life is for you to do exactly what you want and quote unquote fulfill yourself and do exactly what you want to do. That's the only thing that matters to most people. That's how they're taught that they ought to make every moral decision or every decision they make is how does it make me feel at this moment when I'm doing this or that, and if they don't. And so when you get that kind of morality in a society, and it comes from not approving the things that are excellent right. and approving the things that are wicked and giving your mutual consent, society, we're never going to, what we'll never have a utopian society where we get rid of all wickedness. Well, we, but we certainly don't have to approve it as a society, as a church, and or as a family. You don't have to approve it. My, my perception is we don't even realize the ways in which we approve these things. Right well, now, we're, 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 we're bringing criminals in, arresting criminals for robbery and theft and violent crimes, and then turning them with no bail right back out on the street. There's no consequences. Right. We, we Not only have we lost the consequences of God's judgment at the end of life, which I think acted as a deterrent to many things that were deterred in your, your life, early life and mine. Yeah. We've lost the fact that the physical law enforcement system in this country was realized that it was a deterrent. And we've done away with that deterrent. Right. We've forgotten God's judgment that will come. It is still there, and it will deter some people who believe. But we've lost now the physical laws that we, the rule of law that we have now. Yes. Or we once had that. We're, we're losing it. And, and people, this is all about what I want to do. Well, listen, Gary, we're going to have to. Yes. Because okay. we got a call. Okay. Let's go. But, to the, but I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's something that, that we're missing. When we talk about why do we look at the word of God, because it is bringing us back to God's judgment. What did Jesus say? It will judge us in the last day. Be careful what you approve of. Right. Make be, sure you approve of what God approves of. So, you don't have to be mean and nasty, but you certainly don't have to approve it. Hold firm on that. Do not give in to what is evil and do not approve what is evil and, and bear the consequence of that, because that is what God, God will judge you for not doing that. That's yes, what you're getting at. That's right? exactly what okay. I'm getting at. Well, let's, let's take a call. You're, are you there, Jerry? Uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning, Gary. Thank you so much for taking my call. Well, thanks for hanging uh, on for a minute. Well, I didn't see uh, you get uh, called. Uh, at the beginning of a Lutheran service, uh, at the very beginning of the, and I'll cast us call it the missile or, or the, or the, uh, the book that all the People in Congo, Goshen have, uh, it be, it, uh, I saw the act of contortion is how they begin their mass. And I thought it was such a beautiful uh, prayer. And uh, I, I know that it begins with, uh, I believe in God, I believe in uh, His Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, it's such a beautiful prayer. I, I just wonder if you could uh, 
maybe compare the, the actual confession with the, the term atonement and uh, and just point out, uh, you know, uh, are you, uh, is it like going into a confessional uh, in a Roman Catholic folk or going to a, like a booth and uh, and you profess your sins in, on private uh, uh, to a priest or Monsignor? And uh, I'm just, I, I thought your poem was so beautiful. I don't know if I'm going to, I want to put you on the spot, but if you could just, a few stanzas or a few lines of it, uh, but I haven't heard it in, in quite a long time. Uh, uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, well, I'll try to look this up, Jerry, okay. and make a few comments on it. Uh, seemed like there's, I'm not having trouble, I'm having trouble getting this to come up, but let me just talk for a second here about the words that you're getting at. I'm, I am not intimately familiar with the Lutheran services. I'm not going to pretend that I am. I have a little bit of understanding about that. But the Lutheran, the old Lutheran style of things was very much similar to the Roman Catholic, at least in a broad sense, although eventually became more, much more distinct. Now, the, if you want to talk about contrition, confession, and atonement, those are the three those are the three words I heard and picked up. Is that right? About right, Gary? Yes. From from the in this case, contrition is the act of uh, to define it by using it to be contrite, which means to be extremely sorrowful, repentant, and acknowledging that you are wrong or need need forgiveness. That's contrition to realize I've done wrong. And I need to be forgiven, and I'm sorry about what I've done. And so, not only do you express a contrite attitude, but then you might, in response to understanding that you need to repent, you do acts of contrition, which would mean, in a way, trying to repair fruits of repentance, to, to bring forth fruits of repentance, or to re- repair what has been done in some way um, by 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 doing something about it. And this is what the Bible talks about: bringing forth. John says in, in Matthew three, fruits of repentance. You just not, it's not only saying I'm sorry, but it's actually doing something about what you've done that's wrong that you can fix. Some things you do the wrong, you just simply can't fix. But you act, you you feel contrite, and then you stop doing it. That, that's probably the number one thing I would look for, and whether a person's repented, Gary. First of all, have you stopped doing? what you say you're sorry for or are you continuing to make excuses for what you've done do you really understand that what you did was wrong and we have all these apologies issued in the press today but we don't really have anybody acknowledging that what they did was wrong so often now then confession then literally in greek homologia in the new testament to say the same thing homos meaning same and Logos meaning the word, so you say the same word. So you hear you what you're saying when you make a confession, you're saying the same thing as your action. My action was this, and I admit that I did that. I say yes, I did that, or I said that. My conf- I confess that, and that's the basic meaning of it. So you own up to it, as it were, and you say yes, this is what I did, and you're able to repeat what you did, and you're able to help the other person who you've offended or hurt is able to see, yes, they understand what they did, and they own up to it, and they admit that that's what they did. I told you story before about me having to almost pick my wife up off the floor when I looked at her in the eye one day and told her, I'm, she said something to me about what I, about this, and I just said, I'm sorry, in a very diff, different way, perhaps, and I felt her go limp, you know. Like, I can't believe he said that. <laughs> I'm usually going to make an excuse about it, but uh, it was shocking, and it's shocking to to hear someone say, they're sorry, and you then sense when they say it that they really understand and they mean it because we're not used to doing that. Now, that's confession. And so, for example, in a positive way, when a person, Jesus says, he who confesses me before men, I will confess before my father. Okay. The word confess means you say the same thing. So to confess means Jesus is God's son. In fact, you believe that same thing, and you're willing to say that very same fact. Jesus is the Son of God. That's the most fundamental confession. And therefore, because of that, of course, he is Lord and you are his servant. So therefore, you make a confession to say the same thing. 
most of us beat around the idea of confession for wrong. And then you have atonement. Atonement is paying a price to bring about reconciliation. To make atonement for something is to have contrition over what you've done or the situation that exists, feel sorry about it, and then to own up to it in such a way that you will do something to make it right if you can. So since man, for example, in the big picture of atonement, man sinned against God, all I can do about that is own up to it. I can't really fix that per se by myself. God then, God figured out a way through offering up his son, Jesus Christ, to make atonement for that sin. And so if I confess that Jesus is God's son and am buried with him in baptism and have my sins washed away, I will receive that atonement or forgiveness in Christ's blood, not because of what I've done, but because of the atoning blood of Christ that covers it. It's most of the idea it also carries the idea in Hebrew of, of a covering of sin. Blood, blood, Ezekiel talks about the blood of, of murder, murdered victims is spilled on the rocks in Jerusalem, and he was crying out that there was no blood to cover that blood. When blood is shed, God demands blood be shed to cover the blood. And so he's saying they were, they were practicing societal injustice, and there was no atonement. So when I sinned against God, Christ's blood needs to cover that sin, and it can't cover it unless I've been buried with him in baptism by his death. In his death, Romans 6 says, and then by confession, his blood will cover my sins. Now, as far as these prayers. Well, ba basically, I, I was looking for a verse, and I can't find it. But um, what you, it, which it, is it Basically, there's, when we look at the emphasis is placed on confession of sins, I don't disagree with the Catholic Church or maybe the Lutherans, though I don't know what their beliefs are, that confession of sin is important. But I don't find anywhere where the confession of that sin to a special category of people oh. like a priest yeah. is is given in the Bible. Jerry mentioned that, and that's that's. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot about that. Yes. Uh, confession is of sins is important to 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 ourselves and to to others that are with us, but this idea of a special person who has special ability to forgive a sin is just not in the scripture. No, the, the, prayer, the, the, the prayer of confession that you need to make is one that you make through Jesus Christ directly to the Father. You, you, you make that prayer up. Now, others can pray for you, as it were, and they can join in this prayer with you, but there is no special priestly class in the New Testament that right. receives these prayers. When, when uh, in, in Acts chapter 8, for example, when Simon, who had been a sorcerer, not Simon Peter, but another Simon, had been a sorcerer and a magician, became a Christian and was baptized there, uh, he, he then wanted to buy... When he watched Peter do miracles after he'd become a Christian, he saw Peter doing these miracles. He wanted to buy that power that Peter had to do the miracles so he could do miracles. I suppose the, the implication is so he could make money like he had been making before by doing magical things, you see. And Peter rebuked him and told him, you have no partner lot in this matter. And, and he rebuked him for trying to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he said that he needed to pray that the wickedness of your heart would be forgiven you. He didn't say, you know, you go now and kneel before me, Peter, and you make your prayers to me and, and uh, pay so much penance or, you know, whatever, indulgences or whatever. He, he didn't demand that Simon pray through somebody else to the Lord. He told him to pray. Yes. And so the Catholic and Church then set up this system whereby you go to a priest and you, and you sit in a booth and you make your confession. You can't take communion till you make your confessions and the priest tells you what your penance is, how much you got, how many Hail Marys you have to say or whatever the case may be. I'm sim oversimplifying, but for the sake of uh, and the, time. The passage I was thinking about is 1 John 1, 8 and 9. 
if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, mm-hmm. and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, and that's capitalized, he, Jesus, is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no mention of anybody else other than Jesus who has power to forgive sins. Right. Right. And, that, and that, so there's just no, I think the, the, it's often called, at least in one set of things, it's called uh, auricular confession. And auricular means in the ear of the, in the ear, in this case, in the ear of the priest. That's the confession that has to be made. Yeah, that's what I was thought. Now, I, that's what I was thinking. Auricular confession. Yeah. Now, now here's the, here's the theological problem or the problem with this in general is that what I'm saying is that, and what you're saying, Gary, by reading those scriptures is when you go back and look at just the New Testament, you see that each Christian is a priest. We're all a holy priesthood, Peter says. We all have we access. All, we have, have access. access to the Father directly through Jesus Christ and, and his blood. And so we can speak directly to the Father through Jesus Christ, and we can offer our prayers up, both of thanksgiving and of, uh, and of penitence or, or forgiveness, confession. We offer those directly to the Father. In the verse you read that if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins. You don't have to interpret that now. Confess means go to the priest at a certain time and say it through through a little window to a priest. Now, the Catholic view of that is, in contrast, that, that only a certain class of people are priests, these special priests um, that have taken vows and this kind of thing, wear special garments and are celibate, you know, and the whole thing. Seems, only this, seems like a holdover from the Old Testament. It, it is, it's a recreation of the of the Levitical priesthood under Christ, and they will basically tell you that when you read it. They've recreated this priesthood under Christ. When Christ did away with that priesthood, and he he said all of us are the priests, but they've recreated this priesthood under Christ, the Catholic Church has, and you have to go to that person to receive this forgiveness because what the, what the Catholic Church says is the grace of Jesus Christ only comes through the church, quote-unquote, the church, and by that they mean the official organization, the structure of the Roman Catholic Church, and the Roman Catholic Church dispenses the sacraments, among which is forgiveness. Confession is a sacrament. So you, they dispense the sacraments to you. You don't have any access except through the official church body, and in this case, the priest. He will then dispense Christ's grace to you of forgiveness when you do what he says. This is the, this is the system that's been set up. Now, the problem is that that's not what the New Testament says about it at all. Those are, it's, and the Catholic, well, they'll object, say, well, they'll read, see, they read the verse there. It isn't that they're not reading the Bible per se, Gary. They don't, they don't tell the Catholics about the Bible there, but then behind that, the priest says, yeah, we, we believe if you confess your sins, Christ will forgive them. By confess, they mean come to me and confess, come to the priest and confess. And so I don't, I don't they just, set up a system beyond the Bible in their creeds and in their doctrines that the Bible says nothing about. They can't justify well, that. Let, let's, I just want to read 1 Peter 1, 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace be to you. So he's talking to Christians. And then in verse, in chapter 2 and verse 9, he says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. You who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. He's basically telling them Christians that he's writing to is that royal priesthood. Right. And that's the reference. That's First Peter 2. Right. That's the verse, verse I nine. referred to. I just didn't yeah. give you the reference to it. I, should have I just wanted to read that. Right. That's... And and that's the, that's the difference between pursuing a Bible answer to the question and pursuing one that's based on tradition. Now, it is a – look – I'm not criticizing in particular the particular words that are said uh, 
and a prayer in the Lutheran church. That's not the point I'm making. I'm not objecting to, I, I don't even have, for some reason, I can't pull any of these up here. I was going to look some of them up. I can't, I'm unable to pull them up. It could be because Gary, I have 120 tabs open on my browser <laughs> and I can't mess with that right now or we'll just go offline. So in any event, for some reason, I just can't pull up a, these Lutheran prayers. Well, my old computer stops. But I'm, I am not, yeah, I am not objecting to the sentiments of the prayer and I'm sure, as Gary Jerry noted in his call, they may be very beautiful, and and they're carefully thought out. Now, I may object to some of the theology in some of those. I'm not saying that, but that's not the point I'm making. I'm pointing. I'm making the point that the way you receive forgiveness from God as a Christian is not because the church, a church in some way, says a prayer for you, or that a priest in confessional tells you what to do to receive forgiveness and dispenses forgiveness to you. You receive it the same way if you're a Christian, the way that Simon did in Acts chapter 8, when he went to God on his own and prayed for his sins and prayed that God would help him to do better. And we see many prayers in the New Testament that are like this. Now, there is a place for corporate prayer, for the church as a group to pray. We see this that they continued steadfastly in in the in prayer. One of the things that they mentioned, the Book of Acts, that the church continued steadfastly in, were the public prayers that they offered up. And we will pray in our public prayers here that God would forgive the sins of the people of this church or in this assembly. But in the end, that's going to be reliant upon their willingness to repent of those sins, right? And, but we're praying that God would forgive even sins we may not be aware of. We need that forgiveness. So that that's the thing. So yes, Jerry, I'm sure that there are some beautiful prayers that have been that are offered up, and they have prayers for the morning, prayers for the evening. You can see that if you look up any of this stuff, and and so forth. But if you want to confess your sins, then you need to do that to God individually. And what that requires is a careful thought about what your sins might be. Just to offer up a perfunctory prayer, oh, forgive me, God, for my sins, and never spend any time thinking about your actions, your daily actions and thoughts. Never spend any time thinking about those things. It's not possible to offer up a true prayer of contrition or repentance without that. The thing then behind the prayer of contrition or confession is meditation and thought based on understanding of the, what the scriptures say your behavior should be, your thoughts should be, and then comparing what they are, what's really in your heart, what you're really doing with what the scriptures say, and approve or else, as the conscience says, says in Romans 2, your conscience will either approve or, ex, uh, or disapprove of those things. So that's, then you can then you can offer up a prayer of contrition and repentance. That's one of the things that comes with Paul talks about in several places, Mike, examining ourselves to see if we're still in the exactly. Faith. Exactly. And that is uh, and, and I'm how, how can I say this, Mike? But other than that is one of the most difficult things to do honestly and forthrightly that a Christian that I think a Christian faces in his life is to do that honest self-examination. And there are some things that, you know, should ring bells when, we, when we're when we faced with something. Like if, if somebody calls us to a point about something that we said, and, sometimes, and the first thing out of the mouth is, well, I didn't mean that. And I know when that happens quickly that that person hasn't really thought very much about how that phrase could have reasonably been taken by somebody right, else. Right. That 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 those are little clues. I I didn't mean that. Or yes, but this happened. You know, everything that points to that excuse is a little bell that goes off in my mind that says I need to be thinking about this a lot more. Right. Now, on the other That's, hand, I, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to own up to things I haven't done or I don't think I've done wrong. Yeah. People but, people, people can. People can accuse you of things that are simply not wrong. You may you may do that, 
and and it is possible to make a sincere prayer uh, statement and say, well, I'm sorry that you're hurt because I may be sorry that they're hurt, but I don't own up to what's. But they should go on to say, but I don't own up to what you're saying that I've done because I don't think what I've done is wrong. Or maybe, now, now this yeah, is causes a that, big problem, but I know. But what happens is when that happens quickly, without any thought, without much thought, yes, yes, then, yes. then there's the bell goes off there that. And both becomes, both both parties ought to be thinking, okay, we need to think about this a little bit more. Right. It, it's the, you, need, you need to, as they say at the White House, circle back to it. <laughs> okay. Well, don't don't I just thought you'd like that, Gary. All right. Let's. We got another call. Laura, okay. are you there? Yes. Good Sorry morning. To make you whole. Gary, how are you? Good morning. We're here. What's on your mind? Um, I just wanted to shed a little light on the Catholic faith and the confession. It's actually based on confessor sins one to another. So the use of confession is for that purpose. But Jesus hands out the forgiveness. We do study the Bible on the regular basis. It's called the Lectio Divina. And we also have separate Bible studies where we meditate and dissect the scriptures that were given that previous Sunday. So we are very heavily in the Bible, thanks to Vatican II and the changes. I was going to say, uh, now, most of my, a good part of my life, been incorrect about this stuff. A good part of my lifetime, Laura, and I can go back and document this, and I, I still am a little bit skeptical of a little bit of your, what you're saying. The Catholic Church is opposed to Bible teaching for centuries. And 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 now that now that it's being now that the changes have been made, uh, there's still a big pushback against that. But what I would warn, and my background in my family is Roman Catholic. So, but I'm just saying that the thing I would warn them about is make sure that you're actually reading the Bible and not the not saying, well, confess your sins, and you automatically have that. Catholic view of going to the priest for a regular confession, when you read the word confess, you're thinking a regular confession. Get rid of that tradition, you see, and go back and uh, and take it only about, take only what the Bible says about that. Oh, that reference, this is, this that is reference what, scripture is. The Bible is. says to confess your fault one Yes, it does. It, it, it does say so that. So, another to be is no other human being's business. Okay, let let me go. Let's go to that. That's in James chapter five, five verse, verse sixteen. 16. Yes, that. confess your sins or faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, the confess your trespass to one another. I can't read that and come up with going to a booth and sitting next to a priest and confessing in his ear my fault so that I can be forgiven. That's not what that verse means. That verse, that verse is saying that the word confess there is we talk with each other as Christians. We own up to our faults and weaknesses, and when we're wrong, we admit it, and then we pray for one another. This is a group action done not so much uh, under the supervision of a priest or, or a book, but it's the way that we live with each other. So if you have the idea of following the Following the catechism and the creed books, you'll come away with a different idea of what it means to confess your trespasses to one another. Now, I'll give you another illustration, Laura, lest you think I'm being unfair. Here, here in the church here, in my growing up in, in churches of Christ, the custom was at the end of a sermon, for example, uh, you would offer an invitation for people to come and, and you can pray with them. And so, And I'm a minister, so this has happened to me many, many, many times. People will come forward. And I'll sit down next to them onto the pew at the front seat, and they'll tell me, based, I think, partly on the Catholic custom, they'll whisper in my ear, well, I've done this or that or just a generic thing. I haven't been living right. And uh, they're, they're wanting me to pray for them. Now, I'm not sure that that is really what's being talked about here in this verse. Now, what I do then is I'll stand up for the whole church and I'll say so and so has come forward and they're confessing that uh, they stole something or they did this or they did that. I'll, I'll tell the whole church, 
within reason what's happened there, and they want you to forgive them, or they have been doing well in their spiritual life. They want you to pray for them that they might be stronger, you know, that kind of thing. And so then we'll all pray about that. So that's just confessing one to another. That's a little better than going to one. But I think what happens is people come up based on this religious idea of going to a priest. They come up to someone like me, a preacher, and then they want to confess in my ear, and they don't want anybody else to know about any of this. Well, then that's something. If they don't want anybody to know about it, they probably shouldn't make a public confession of it, if that makes any well, sense. The, the other thing is... Human beings are very harsh and judgmental. What's One that? why I love confession. That priest isn't going to run back and tell everybody like gossip. Well, I know that you can't. My point is the priest, the confessing to a priest is not what's under discussion in James 5, verse 16, because he says do it to one another. And he says confess. So the priest needs to confess his sins to me. Just as much as I need to confess my sins to him. Well, and he also says confess your trespasses. And they do. That's more specific. That that but that Laura, that's not that's not the what they're using a Bible verse to justify what they've already decided as a practice they're going to do. They didn't come up with the idea of the little confessional booth out of James five sixteen. It didn't happen that way. Or first and, John one. Or first John one. Those are that's based on the fact that the priest is the one who offers you forgiveness and dispenses the grace that that Christ had on the cross. Now the point is a lot of customs develop in other churches about confession but it doesn't fit the words of James 5:16. That's more where uh, we as brothers and sisters are living together and we're willing to own up to our faults with one another and ask for forgiveness when necessary for the other person or from the other person or or the other person helps me to figure out how to repent and confess my faults to God. That's what's being discussed, not a particular ritual that you go through to be forgiven. So if you're going to... It's not ritualistic anymore, and and just a little something to ponder. This two-time divorcee, seven-time forgiven murderer, is a Eucharistic minister in the Catholic Church and works on the altar. So there's been a lot of changes. Well, that may that may be, but the, a lot of unlegalistic. The fundamental the fundamental teachings of the Catholic Church have not changed, and I know that they are now trying to get people to study the Bible. But I, I I'll give you the example of this. Here, here's the problem: my I, my grandmother was a Catholic, a very very devout Roman Catholic from Europe, and later in life, uh, you know, she I can kind of encouraged her to read the Bible because she had never read the Bible. She was told, I'm not allowed to read the Bible. And I know that was true at that time. So she began to read it. And then finally, like you say, Vatican II. And so she got got a Catholic Bible, and I I was looking at it with her, and I warned her at that time, make sure that you read from the, the the verses are at the top, the scripture to the top of the page. But half or more of the bottom of the page is all full of the notes from the bishops and cardinals and the synods and so forth, or the uh, uh, councils. I said, make sure you read from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom to the top. Because if you, if you will read, uh, if you read the other way, you're going to be mistaken. For example, the scriptures say in 1 Timothy that there is one mediator between God and man himself, man. Well, that simply is that contradicts Catholic teaching that Mary is a mediator. Okay, it con- Ma- Mary is also a mediator in Catholic teaching. The duty of the Catholic faith, all the freedoms that we have, how much we love Jesus. I, I don't. I don't doubt that Catholics love Jesus. That's not the point I'm making. Loving Jesus is more than feeling love in your heart. I don't doubt that Catholics love Jesus. That isn't the point that I'm making. The point I'm making is that these doctrines that have been taught for centuries and centuries have not actually changed. And if they have changed, Laura, here's the problem. The The Catholic Church makes the claim that they are the one true church from the beginning, that their doctrine is unchangeable. They've made the point that our doctrine is unchangeable and has not changed. And then 
Vatican II, and you come on the air, and other people come on the air and say, well, the Catholic Church has changed. Well, that's a problem, because they're telling me for, for centuries and centuries, they say, no, we haven't changed. Well, which is it? Have you changed? Were you wrong before, or are you wrong now? Which is it? If it's wrong to read the Bible in the 19th, if it's wrong for confessing your faults one another. Laura, if it was wrong for to eat meat on Friday in the 1960s, if it was wrong in the 1960s to eat meat on Friday, and if it's if it's wrong uh, to read the Bible in the 1960s, but it's right now, the Catholic Church says, but now it's okay. What happened there? What changed? The Bible didn't change on either one of those issues, but the Catholic Church changed no. on those issues. So I don't think it's much of a defense what to say, well, we've changed. That's not much of a defense of Catholic teaching. Of What's Catholic that? Bible. It's first and second Maccabees, which the Protestants removed, which is a story of Hanukkah. No. How do you deplete Hanukkah? No, no, the, the, no, 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 Jew, no Jewish, no Jewish rabbis accepted the Maccabees as scripture. They were written before the New Testament times, and even the Jews would not include them in the Old Testament because they knew they were not from God. They were, they're good history, they're fun to read, they're informative, but they are not inspired. And so the Catholics wouldn't, I mean, the, the Jews wouldn't even accept the, the apocryphal books. The Catholics needed the apocryphal books to justify uh, things like praying to the saints and images and so forth, but they, they, so they brought them in, but even the Jews wouldn't accept them. The, the Protestants didn't remove them, they were never part of the Old Testament to begin with. Uh, that's the, and that's something else that that's another whole issue. But if you have to go to the Maccabees to prove your points, I mean, I, I you know, getting, you're going out on the on the limb. But the problem is with the Catholic Church. I we want you to think about. We learn enough Jewish tradition as Christians in a regular Christian church. Most of don't find the Jewish people. And what was done to be of vital importance to who we are today. I'm not sure I understand what the point you're making. There, yeah, I'm say, say, that, say that again because I'm having trouble too. What was that? It, it, not learning how Jesus lived in the miracles of Hanukkah as a feast of the Jewish. We miss a lot. The well, well Hanukkah is in Hanukkah is in the New Testament. It's it's there in John ten when Jesus went to the feast, or John eight and through ten when he went to the feast. But the Jews do not consider Hanukkah. It's a minor Jewish holiday. It's not a feast of the Lord. There are feasts of the Lord, like the Day of Atonement and Passover, and then there were these other feasts of the Jews, which were considered minor feasts. Hanukkah has become an important holiday only because of the Jews trying to compete with Christmas. Now, Jesus went to the temple and tried to teach people during the feast of Hanukkah or the dedication of the temple in John 10. Probably because they were there. That they were there. Yeah, he went there to teach people. But um, it, it, it's, not in, it's not in the Old Testament because Hanukkah happened between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. And it's not, it was not given by God. That holiday and the regulation were not given by the Lord. What was given by the Lord were the other feasts of the Jews in Leviticus 13 and so forth. But anyway, well, we got a couple minutes left. Do you want to summarize what you're saying here, Laura, so we can we can uh, have to wrap this up? Then the miracle of the oil lasting eight days wasn't done by God. Well, I don't know about that. It certainly isn't recorded in the Old Testament. And it's and I'm certainly as it, I'm certainly not told what to do about that. I know that it's a Jewish tradition that that was a miracle that happened, and so forth. But and it, it may have been from the Lord, but the Lord did not choose to put it in the Old Testament as such. Nor is it mentioned in the New Testament as a miracle from God. Or well, our time is gone today. Really appreciate it. We got just a few seconds left here. I appreciate you all listening today. Uh, to the show. Thanks for calling in. We appreciate it very much and hope that you'll tune in again next week to We Are Just Christians. Uh, we'd like to invite you to uh, symbol with us at 2196 
southwest of Vona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie, 2196 southwest of Vona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. And we'd like to invite you to take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you'll be with us again next week at 9 o'clock for We Are Just Christians, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie Heard every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. WPSL Port St. Lucie.